hello, I'm Nicole. I'm a second year studying linguistics and classics and ancient history. Uh, we're reading from Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, to chapter 6, verse 18, and it should be on your handout. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbour as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sin of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone, without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule to, to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Thanks, Nicole. Um, Let me ask you a question, and you can discuss it uh, just in pairs for a moment. Imagine you have got the job of making people good. What would you do? Okay? So, just in pairs, what would you do to try and make people good? All right, discuss.
All right. Did, uh, any good suggestions on how to make people good? Beat them. <laughs> yes. yes. I was once uh, doing a kids' talk at a church, and uh, we had this thing where we got the, one of the little girls, she had to sit in a naughty chair because she was sort of pretending to be the bad person. And we said, What should we do? One of the boys said, Punch her in the face! <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> Talk to your mum and dad later. <laughs> uh, any other suggestions? Provide economic incentives. Yeah. Yeah, bribe them. Yeah. Uh-huh. Anyone else? Okay. Well, I think one of the big ways that uh, people try to do it, particularly our government tries to do it, is by laws. Let's pass laws. And that way we'll be able to force people to do what is good. Um, Mostly it sort of involves passing laws to, about something that you want people to do and then you punish them if they don't do it. So if you assault someone, you'll get thrown in prison. If you drive too fast or while you're drunk, you'll get fined and you'll lose demerit points. Uh, if you, assault, if you uh, put up a banner at the football that says, get the mosques out, then you'll be thrown out yourself. You'll be kicked out of the MCG or uh, Subiaco Oval. The problem is that there are real difficulties with making people good through passing laws. For one thing, laws don't really change people's hearts. So if you take the last example, the guys who put up those banners at the MCG and Subi uh, about banning mosques, do you reckon when they were thrown out because they'd broken the law that... They went home changed men, suddenly filled with love towards their Muslim neighbours and, uh, you know, just thinking about, you know, how can I do nice things for them at Ramadan? No, I don't think so. No, I think, if anything, they went home more angry than when they'd arrived, more filled with hate than before. Laws don't actually change people's hearts. And because they don't change people's hearts, they tend to become increasingly restrictive and oppressive over time. So you start off with a command like, you shall not murder, and sooner or later you lose free speech. Why? Well, because you discover that simply passing a law, you shall not murder, doesn't actually stop people from hating others. And so, gradually, over time, you pass more and more laws to try and bring it in to try and control the way people behave. Some of you might have read uh, in the last week about a girl at Edinburgh University who uh, was almost kicked out of a student union meeting because she shook her head while someone else was speaking. And that's against the rules. You're not allowed to make gestures in Edinburgh University student union meetings because going like this or shaking your head might be hate. You might be hating someone. And we've got to stop that, so we've passed a law that if you do that, you get kicked out. Laws don't change people, so they just become increasingly oppressive. And yet, having said that, we feel like we need laws, don't we? I mean, if you just got rid of laws, what might people do? They'd go nuts. Like, if you think of places around the world that are lawless, 
places like Syria or Somalia. They're not sort of utopias where everyone is living in sort of blissful, happy freedom. They're nightmares. They're disaster zones. And so how then can Paul spend the whole of Galatians insisting that Christians are not under law? They're not under the Old Testament law. They don't have to obey it. You have a look with me at Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. He says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. That's what he's been saying consistently through Galatians. That Christians are free. They are not under the Old Testament law. And he's opposing anyone who says that they are. That's what people have been doing. They've been coming to Galatia and saying, If you're a Christian, praise God, hallelujah, we're delighted that you're trusting in Jesus. But you must keep the Old Testament law as well. You've got to get circumcised. You've got to keep the food laws. You've got to keep the the festivals. You've got to keep all the moral commandments of the law. And, you know, that seems sensible, right? Because, after all, what would happen if you removed the law from people? They'd go nuts, wouldn't they? It'd be a disaster. But actually... God, who gave the law, says here through Paul, no, that's not right. In Jesus, you are free. In fact, you cannot trust Jesus and think that you must keep the Old Testament law because they are fundamentally incompatible. The Gospel tells us that Jesus has already taken our punishment for everything that we've done or ever will do, all our sins, past, present and future. They were paid for by Jesus on the cross. Jew and Gentile alike are justified before God simply by faith in Jesus. And if you stop doing that, if you go back to trusting in the law, then actually you're saying, no, Jesus is not good enough. I am relying on myself. I need to actually perform. I need to be good enough for God to save me. And at that point, not only do you lose your salvation, because you'll never be good enough, you go back to being a slave to the law, a slave to sin and death. Because you'll never be good enough for the law. It doesn't matter how hard you try, you can kill yourself trying to keep the law. And you'll never do it. In fact, you've already broken it. I mean, after all, that's why you became a Christian in the first place, isn't it? That you recognised your need for forgiveness. Because you'd done the wrong thing. If you rely on keeping the law, you're already condemned. But, says Paul, if you're a Christian, if you're trusting in Jesus... You're not under the law. The law can't condemn you. No matter what you do, in Jesus you are completely free. But don't use that freedom to indulge the flesh, he says. Uh, The flesh is just Paul's term for what people are, what humans are, who don't have the Holy Spirit. We are just flesh. We're just in rebellion against God. And I think that's actually what we fear of people who are free from the law. 
we fear that they will just do whatever they like, that uh, they'll just be controlled by their sinful passions and desires. But Paul says, no, no, you really are free. If you're trusting in Jesus, you are free from the law. So don't use your freedom to indulge in sin. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Because the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment. Love your neighbour as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you'll be destroyed by each other. He says, love your neighbour as yourself. Do that, and you'll actually end up living the kind of life that the law intended. See, if you are loving your neighbour as yourself, do you really need to be told, you shall not murder? Would that thought even cross your mind if you were trying to love your neighbour as yourself? Do you need to be told you'll not commit adultery? Would you, would you actually do that to someone? Commit adultery if you love them? Do you even need to be told to put a parapet around the edge of your flat-housed roof um, so that people don't fall off? Or if you loved people, would you think, hang on a minute, maybe I should put a guardrail up around this thing so the kids don't fall off? Do you need to be told that you can't leave an uncovered pit on your property where livestock can fall into it, as it does in Exodus 21, verse 33? Or would you realise that actually a great big pit in the middle of your property might be a problem for the cattle? Do you need to be told, don't leave your scraps on the table when you leave the Guild Cafe, as it says in Ben 3.43? (laughs) No, you just need to be thinking, how can I love other people? How can I care for them? And you'll naturally do it. So uh, I'll draw a little picture for you here, um, if I can get this to work, because I think this is helpful. So you can think of the law as kind of like the circumference of a circle. It's kind of a circle. (laughs) And the heart of the law is love. It's love for God and love for others. So the circumference is the boundary, the centre is love. That's what the whole law is built around. But here's the thing that Paul's saying. When we're flesh, if we don't have the spirit of God, what we do is we head out in this direction. That our tendency is to go towards the edge of the law. We want to push the boundaries. We want to see how far can I go, how evil can I be without technically breaking the law and getting in trouble. I'm always wanting to push the boundaries. Sure, I get that the law says you shall not commit adultery, but, you know, hey, porn doesn't really count as adultery. Like, there's not actually kind of another person involved. And, you know, it doesn't really matter if I, if I masturbate as I lust after someone because, you know, it's not actually sex. Like, it's not, you know, adultery. The definition of adultery is that you've got to have another person there. Oh, it's just me on my own. What's the problem? But you see what's going on? The whole attitude is thinking about how can I push the boundaries? How unloving can I be towards someone without technically getting in trouble? And the question is, 
Is that the kind of life that God really wants? Is that the sort of people that he hoped to create? No, of course not. He actually wants people who love each other, who aren't using other people for their own gratification, but who are serving one another out of love. And here's the critical thing. The law cannot produce that. The law cannot change people so that they are filled with love for God and for others. If you rely on the law, you will be condemned. But, says Paul, there's good news. There's another way, a way that is totally free, where you can live a life of total freedom, not hemmed in by the law, not constrained by it, not controlled by the law, not driven by your flesh. Because instead, you can be controlled by the Spirit of God. So have a look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 with me. It says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you are not to, or actually I think a better translation would be, so that you may not, do whatever you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under law. See, if you put your trust in Jesus, if you trust him to save you, then this whole dynamic here is completely changed because you're no longer controlled by the law. You're controlled by the Spirit of God. He lives in you. He's given you new birth. He enables you to repent and believe the good news about Jesus. And so what happens is that when you believe the gospel by the Holy Spirit, you actually stop heading out in this direction and you turn around and head in this one. Because if you understand the gospel by the Spirit of God, then don't you just naturally love God? Isn't it extraordinary what he's done for you in sending Jesus to die for you? How could you not love him if you've got your head around that? And if you understand the gospel of what Jesus has done for you, how you were sinful and he saved you purely by grace, and that he died for everyone, won't you just naturally love them as well? Won't you stop looking down on them? Won't you stop hating them and actually start loving them the way Jesus loved you? And so the critical thing is that if you have the Spirit... The whole dynamic is changed. That he picks you up and he turns you around. That's that's repentance. That is completely doing a 180. And if you do that, it changes everything. Because now your life is no longer driven by uh, rebellion against God and how close can I get to the law, uh, to the edge of the law. Now it's driven by love. Love for God and love for others. So, says Paul, walk by the Spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. That is, the Spirit has picked you up. He's turned you around. He's given you new life. He's made you a new creation. So, live that way. Why would you go back to living the old way of sin and death? Why wouldn't you go with the guy who's given you life? 
The guy who is working in you, filling your heart with love for Jesus and for others. And if you do that, you'll end up heading in the exact opposite direction of the flesh. And you'll end up living the righteous life that the law was all built around, but was never able to produce. You might think, well, I see what you're saying then, but isn't that all a bit vague? Like, isn't that, you know, don't you kind of need a law to sort of show you where the boundaries are? Uh, to show you which direction to head in, uh, how to love others and not to hate them? Well, do you? Do you really? Like, do you actually find it that hard to work out what's right and wrong? Paul says here that uh, it's actually pretty obvious. Verse 19, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. It's not hard to work out that those things are bad, is it? Surely, if you're a Christian, if you know how God has made you, what he's made you for, then obviously those things are bad, aren't they? Is that hard to work out? I don't think so. But verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is obvious as well. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. I mean, generally speaking, it is not hard to work out what is good and bad, what's right and wrong, what's harmful and what's not. In fact, I reckon those five verses there are going to solve 99% of your problems if you're unsure of what's right and what's wrong. It's pretty straightforward. Sure, sometimes it's not immediately obvious how you can best love someone, but as we read the Bible and as we seek to love them, we find out more about how God has made the world, how he's made people, what he's made them like, discover that in his word, and we learn more about what is loving for them, how we can best care for them in light of how God has made them. Life as a Christian is just loving people in the light of reality. And God reveals that reality to us in his word. Paul says, look, if you live according to the flesh, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why is that? Is it because if you live according to the flesh, you'll break the law? Well, no, I don't think it is that. Because Jesus died for your sin, isn't it? Didn't he? If he's died for your sin, it's paid for. It's not that you're condemned for failing to keep the law. In fact, you're saved in spite of your failure to keep the law. No, the critical issue is the direction you're heading in. See, if you're heading out in this direction, if you're living according to the flesh, if that's what characterises your life, what does that show about you? I think it shows that you've never really understood the gospel, doesn't it? You've never grasped just how much God has done for you in Jesus. Because if you had, if you'd, by the Holy Spirit, come to grasp that, you wouldn't be heading out this way at all. You'd be heading back in this way. It's completely transformative. 
if you've received the Holy Spirit, you head in the exact opposite direction of the flesh. And the interesting thing is that when that happens, you're not actually constrained by the law anymore, are you? Because you're not sort of bumping up against it, going, man, I wish I could get out here, but this blooming law just keeps hemming me in and I can't do what I want. No, actually, the opposite happens. You suddenly become free. You're not constrained anymore. The law is not holding you back because you're heading in the opposite direction. You're not constantly hitting a wall because you're always heading away from the wall. Now, uh, that's not to say that there are never any struggles or never any setbacks. Uh, Wow, boy, there are. Uh, We do struggle as Christians, don't we? We're not perfect by any means. We don't consistently live a life of love for God and for others. But actually the struggle is kind of like a salmon swimming upstream. It's not that the poor old salmon doesn't find it difficult or that sometimes he might go a bit backwards. But there's something in him that's driving him forward, that's pushing him against the current, helping him to make progress. And Paul's saying that's what it's like for Christians. If you put your faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives in you. And he drives you forwards against the current, against the way everything else is going. We shouldn't be surprised as Christians to discover that our society is opposed to us. Of course dead things go with the flow. What else can they do? You've got to be alive to swim against the current. And it's only Christians who are alive by the Holy Spirit. So I guess one of the questions that comes up for us is how do you reckon we can help each other to swim against the current, to actually live a life of love in response to what Jesus has done for us? I want to give you a bit of time, uh, just a minute or so, chat with the person next to you again. Can you think of any ways that you could, uh, that we could help each other to live that life of love, to spur each other on in godliness? Go for it.
That'll do. Uh, any cool suggestions on what we could do? You can say it was the other person's idea if you wanted. Pray for each other. Pray for each other. Yeah. Thanks, Sam. Yeah, what, what do you mean? Sure. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so we could help each other by uh, helping them think about what is loving uh, and what's unloving. Yeah, that's a great idea. Yep. Anyone else? Say that again. Sorry, I didn't catch it. Yeah, 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 that's right. Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, they're great suggestions. Um, I guess one of the things that we struggle with is that um, as Christians, we do find ourselves continuing to sin. And as a community of Christians, uh, we're surrounded by people who struggle with sin. So it's not something that's unexpected. Paul says in chapter 6, verse 1, look, if someone is caught in a sin... You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. So we're not to ignore sin, to pretend that it doesn't happen or that we're, we're not allowed to bring it up with someone. But we're to help them recover gently. Because one of the great traps that Satan uses is other people's sin. He uses other people's sin to make us conceited to make us proud, to make us provoke and envy each other. So imagine this, you know, you've, you've heard the gospel, you've put your trust in Jesus, and your life has been turned around by the Holy Spirit. And you know, praise God, you're starting to see some changes in your life. You're starting to grow in godliness. And as you do that, you sort of have a look around you and think, oh, well, look at these other Christians here. Oh, look at that guy. He's struggling with the sin all the time. I never have a problem with that. That, that girl, she's always gossiping. Man, I've, I've never had a problem with gossiping. Hmm. <laughs> and you start to think that you're pretty good. You start to think, man, I'm doing okay. Paul warns, listen, watch yourselves, or you might be tempted. Not tempted, I think, to fall into the same sin as that person is committing, although that might be possible, but more tempted to become conceited. We start thinking we're something special when we're not. And becoming conceited, becoming proud, is absolutely fatal. Because proud people, conceited people, they don't think they need God. They think they've got it all together. They think they're fine. And so they stop loving God because, hey, what's God done for me? I'm fine. And they stop loving others. They start looking down on them. Look at that guy. You know, he, what, why doesn't he just get it together? Like, I've had it together for ages. What's the problem with them? And when you see your brother or sister caught in the sin, he says, don't just leave them. Don't just leave them to carry their burden alone. Help them. Because that is the loving thing to do. And in that way, he says, 
you fulfill the law of Christ. You end up doing the very heart of the law. Love your neighbour as yourself. And Paul says, look, instead of always looking at others and comparing yourself to them and thinking, man, think how far ahead of them I am. How good am I? You actually look at yourself. You test yourself. How are you going? Not in comparison to others, but in comparison to yourself. Are you making progress? Are you actually growing in godliness? Are you becoming more Christ-like? Are you actually growing in your love for God and for others? And if you are, praise God. That's wonderful. You can look at that and you can take pride in yourself. Not an arrogant sort of pride, but a praise God by his grace. I am actually making some progress. Don't be looking around at others, he says. Don't be thinking about how they're going compared to you, because frankly, that's irrelevant. Who cares how they're going compared to you, or how you're going compared to them? God's given each of us different loads to bear, he says. So don't look at a brother or sister and think, man, I can't believe they're struggling with that. Wow, what a loser. (laughs) No, help others with their burdens and get on with carrying your own. That's the job God has given you. Not to look down on others for their failure, but to get on with carrying your own burden. There's a funny verse here, sort of in the middle of it, where uh, he says that um, anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. And you think, well, that just kind of came out of the blue, didn't it? What's that got to do with anything before or after? Um, And I'm not 100% sure, but I suspect that what it is, is he's saying that those who have benefited from teachers of the word are to carry some of their burden for. They're to help them out, um, presumably financially, but maybe other ways as well, uh, that they're not to leave them just off on their own. And, praise God, that's what lots of people have done for you guys. We've got a bunch of staff here who are supported purely through the generosity of others who share our burdens as staff workers by providing for us so that we can care for you. Hope one day you'll do the same for the next generation. But this whole thing that Paul is talking about, not living by the law, not living by flesh, but living according to the Spirit... Well, that's the truly spiritual life. Now, people tend to think of being spiritual as something sort of hard or or difficult or that we do by beating ourselves or suffering or something like that. Um, You know, but if we picture it, sort of, you've got to go sit in a desert and, you know, Think spiritual thoughts or something like that. You've got to put rules in place, uh, arbitrary restrictions on your life. You know, every morning I've got to get up and go and sit in the desert for two hours and meditate. No, you don't. That's not being spiritual. That's a waste of time. (laughs) Go and help someone. Love someone. Love God. Love others. 
live a spiritual life, one that's controlled by the Spirit. Not rules and regulations, not laws, not treating your body harshly, but living a life of love for God and for others. People worry that if you get rid of laws, that people will just go nuts. You know, fantastic. You mean I can trust in Jesus and I'm forgiven all my sins, past, present and future. Are you serious? Uh-huh. Really? So, like, I can pray a prayer and I can go out and just sin as much as I like? Uh, not sure you've quite got it. Not sure you've got it. Maybe you've met people who are like that. Maybe you think like that yourself. But that's not how the Christian life works. We have a look at chapter 6, verse 7. He says, Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. He says, If you persist in rebelling against God then you will go to hell. Why? Because you weren't good enough? No. Because rebelling against God shows that you've never put your trust in Jesus. You've never turned away from your old life of sin and decided to trust Jesus for your forgiveness. Because if you had, you would have received the Holy Spirit. And if you'd received the Holy Spirit, you'd live according to the Spirit. You'd want to keep in step with him. If you really grasp the gospel that you've been saved purely by grace, through Jesus, if you really have the Holy Spirit, then your heart will be filled with love for God and for others. And because you have the Spirit, you'll reap eternal life. So, it's worth taking a good hard look at your life. What direction are you heading in? What seeds are you sowing? What is your TV watching and your movie watching, the books that you read, the way you treat others, your hopes and dreams, the habits that you're forming? Are they characterised by the flesh or by the spirit? Are they growing out of a love for God and for others or are they actually growing out of rebellion? Are you living the old life that was crucified with Christ? living as though that was still real. Paul says, don't be deceived. God can't be mocked. If you hear that and you're afraid, good. If you look at your life and you see that it comes up short, then praise God, because that's exactly what Jesus died for. So, after you've taken a good hard look at yourself, stop looking at yourself And start looking at Jesus. He died for your sin. Repent of your rebellion and let the Holy Spirit fill your heart with love for him and for your neighbour. And let's live it out together. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Through this whole letter, Paul has been dealing with this circumcision group who are saying, you've got to keep the law, you've got to get circumcised. And he says, no, that's not it. 
You're just saying that because you want to avoid getting persecuted for following Jesus. You just want to not be hassled by the Jews back in Jerusalem. You want to be able to boast about these people that you've circumcised. He said, well, I'm going to do a bit of boasting as well. But I'm going to boast in Jesus. I'm not going to boast in what I've done because it's a waste of time. My stuff's never going to be good enough. I've never managed to keep the law. I've never been able to change direction all by myself. It's only by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit that anyone is able to change. I'll only boast in the cross of Christ. He'll boast in the humiliating words, wounds he suffered in the service of Jesus. Because it's only Jesus. It's only Jesus who pours out the Spirit and who is able to transform us. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Amen.